Acts chapter 1, if you would please. Acts chapter 1, we'll stand in honor of God's Word. Acts and chapter number 1. This morning the uh, sermon title was Go in His Name, and it was in reference to Moses when Moses said, um, If I go and they ask me who's sending me, what should I say? What is, what is his name? They asked me, what is his name? Then God said, I am that I am, Moses. And tell them that I am has sent you. Tell them Jehovah has sent you. So uh, God's name put Moses on a mission. Well, now we're reading in the book of Acts, obviously several years after Moses. But it's God's name that puts the whole church and the people of that church on a mission. And so we're going to read about that here tonight. We started last Sunday night in the book of Acts. And so let's just uh, begin our reading again in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. Luke is writing and he says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence." Verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know. Well, a lot of people need to pay attention to this first, don't they? It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by Uh, by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And so tonight I'd like to preach, as Moses uh, heard, go in my name, uh, we go forth in his name. We go forth in his name. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message tonight. Have you ever heard these words? Who said so? Who said so? Well, if you have kids, you've heard them say that. If you have siblings, you probably have said that, more than likely. It's time to come to the table. Who said so? The older sibling would say to the younger. It's time to come inside. Who said so? 
Stop throwing the ball against the wall. (laughs) Who said so, right? Hear that a few times. Set the table. Who said so? Well, it's a matter of of authority, isn't it? Who, Who gave you authority to say what you're saying to me? Some would want to know. Maybe you've heard it at work not too long ago. Do this. Who said so? Well, the boss said. Well, that ought to change things. Yeah. Uh, that question, you know, who said so, it, it should change things when this is stated after it. Dad said. Now, that ought to change everything. Or mom said. Now, there's the real authority, right? Mom said. Who said so? So if uh, maybe it is a younger brother or sister coming, if they come and they were legitimately sent by the parent, they were authorized to say so. Now, it could be they just threw that around. Now, there's some younger siblings who probably have done that. Uh, Dad, (laughs) wait a minute, did he really say that? Okay. But if he really said that, and and, uh, the implication would be that he did, then the young person's word is just as strong as the dad's word. Because he is at that point, as he's speaking on behalf of dad or of mom, he maybe wouldn't use this terminology, but the fact of the matter is this, he's an authorized or she's an authorized agent. An authorized agent. Okay, so I can see this happening now. Some younger sibling is going to say, hey, look, I'm the authorized agent here. (laughs) And dad said so. Well, if you have to play that card, then so be it. But uh, it does make a difference, the authority. The authority. And then, you know, whether the sibling complies or not, uh, that's, that's between them and the authority. But the younger sibling has done their job strictly to make the announcement. As a believer, do you view yourself as an authorized agent of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the truth is, is that we are. We are to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to tell men and women of all social backgrounds, those uh, high in the social ladder, we might say, and those who are not, uh, regardless of whatever their status may be, we are to go everywhere telling everybody, repent and believe the gospel. And they might say to you and me, who said so? At that point, we may say, I'm an authorized agent. Now, we may not use that terminology, but the fact is, he sent us to do just that. And thus, we have the authority to act. The word authority means this, power to act on behalf of somebody else. Power to act on behalf of somebody else. When when that parent authorizes that six-year-old, let's say, when he or she authorizes that, that six-year-old, then that six-year-old does not, is not going to be physically able probably to make that older sibling to comply. But it's, it's not the power and the authority that's in the little six-year-old. It's the power and authority that's in the parent. When you and I stand before a world or we witness one-on-one, we just had the fishers of men start their training. Look, we are here and we witness and we knock on somebody's door, not standing, if we understand it right, we are not there standing in our own power or our own authority and in like our, in our own ability to try to make them to comply. Whether or not they comply is not up to us. 
Our job is strictly to proclaim the good news, the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then whether or not they comply, that's up to them. But you are authorized. You're authorized. You have the power to act on behalf of somebody else. Somebody else. As we uh, saw last uh, Sunday night... In the message, we saw that Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus. We saw his name in our reading tonight. We know that uh, Luke wrote two volumes. He wrote, of course, the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote now uh, what we know as the Acts of the Apostles, which really gets to be the act of God through the Apostles in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, But nonetheless, this is basically a two-volume set that, that Luke is writing to Theophilus. I want to uh, deal with this a little bit here tonight, and because we didn't uh, really flesh it out last week. But according to what Luke said about Theophilus in, Ch- in Luke, uh, in his gospel, he talked about, he spoke to Theophilus as a most excellent Theophilus. So who is this man Theophilus? We really don't have a whole lot of information about him other than what we find here in just the introductory sections of, of Luke and then just a little bit here of, of Acts. But given the way that, um, that Luke spoke to him, it's most likely that Theophilus, of course, number one, would be a Gentile. He's, he's not a Jew, and Luke was a Gentile, not a Jew, so he's writing to a, a, a fellow non-Jew or Gentile. But by the fact that he said, oh, excellent Theophilus, uh, most would say that it's uh, possible and most likely that Theophilus was a man of means, he was a man of uh, perhaps wealth, this man Theophilus. He may have been a man of uh, position, of rank of some sort. He may have owned a business or he may have had position within his society. Uh, the point would be this, that being the case, he had a lot to lose. He had a lot to lose by identifying with this what some would see as a new sect or a, a new uh, religion. It would be viewed that way amongst the other Greeks and Romans and uh, Jews and the persecution that would come. So he would have a lot to lose. I mean, just think about it. Here he is, a man of wealth, a man of position. If he identifies with this Jew named Jesus who was crucified, was buried, and they say rose again, and, and he's a believer. I believe that Theophilus was a believer at this point. If he identifies with this, this man, if he identifies with these people, this, this uh, group, this church, that at, by the point in time that he's reading this has grown uh, in great measure, but if he identifies with them, he really has a lot to lose. He might ask something like this, um, man, is this worth it? Is it worth it to identify with Jesus? Is it worth it? You might ask that same question. Is it worth it for us to give so much time and investment in serving the Lord? Is it worth it to give financially like what many of you do? Is it worth it to give your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it worth it? Well, the the answer seems so obvious. All you got to do is put a little pressure to that. Put a little bit on the line or quite a bit on the line. And maybe that question is one that you kind of toss around in, the, in your mind. Is it really worth it here? So Luke is writing to Theophilus to 
encourage him, to help him to know, as he says in Luke chapter 1, to know the certainty or the validity, the reliability of what he had believed. He's a new believer, and I'm sure he is wondering, what in the world have I got myself into? And maybe you've wondered that as well. And that's where Theophilus was. But, but Luke is also writing to him, not just to solidify him in regards to his faith, but to help him to be so solid in his belief about Jesus and, and about this Christian way that not only is he convinced himself, but that he becomes a convincer, that he becomes a witness a bold witness. And so that was the intent of Luke's writing, which whatever the intent was then is God's intent now. And so God wants us to be like Theophilus, bold, bold to believe the gospel and to be totally convinced that what you and I have embraced by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is not believing a fable, but it is believing the truth of God. And being very convinced of that to the point that we are very bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Look, you have not believed wrongly if you've trusted Jesus Christ and him alone. You've not believed wrongly. And so uh, Theophilus is facing a lot of pressure, though. He he has the pressure of a, a pluralistic society. A society that says it's not right to be exclusive. Whatever somebody wants to believe is fine as long as they don't believe that what they believe is exclusively right. Does that sound familiar? It's okay whatever somebody wants to believe as long as what they believe, if they don't believe that what they believe is exclusively right to the exclusion of everything else. He lived in a society that's very similar to our society because we live and minister the gospel in a very pluralistic society that says, look, it's okay, whatever you want to believe, but don't just believe that Jesus is the only way. Now you've crossed the line. Now we stop letting you believe whatever you want to believe. Okay, so you have that pressure. And then it can go into the form of persecution. Now, another point about Theophilus He's not a man who's going into full-time ministry, as far as we know. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. But he is a friend. And he is a church member. And it may be that he owned a job or he worked in a place, but it had some advancement and such. Here's, Here's the point. Don't underestimate your role, though you may not be called into full-time ministry. Should Bible college students study the book of Acts? Absolutely. Can you learn some things there? Yeah, if you'll pay attention. Most certainly. But the book of Acts is not just to be studied in Bible college. The book of Acts is written to somebody that's in the secular world, that's working a job, that's owning a business, that's an executive, a CEO, or somebody like that. It's written to the common man. It's written to all people. Hey, look, in fact, I appreciate what Miss... Juanita Weston said to our new members class this morning, she said, I took fishers of men because I, it dawned on me, I realized that being a witness is not just the job of the pastor. And it's not just the job of the staff. It's the job of all believers. And so listen tonight, the book of Acts is written specifically for you. That you might be challenged to be a witness of the, Lord Je- of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it might be that we could, in these modern times, we could say, the former treatise, have I made, oh, and put your name there. Oh, Gail Hash, I just saw uh, Brother Gail there. 
just you could, we could go around and put everybody's name there that look this this book is written specifically for you to challenge you to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can be assured that what you've believed is right, given the content of the gospel. And you can be assured of this, that what you've believed is right, given the way that God has put his hand on the gospel and it has spread everywhere. I'm telling you, there's, there's more involved than just man here. It's the mighty power of God that's been on display through the centuries. Why should Jews take the gospel to Gentiles? Why should Gentiles believe a Jew? See, the gospel cuts across these cultural boundaries and all the other boundaries that are there. That's the power of the gospel. We have here in, in verses one and following, we basically have this. Luke is saying to Theophilus, Theophilus, share the gospel because it's right. And Theophilus, you are an authorized agent to spread the gospel. Theophilus, we would say today, you don't have to go to Bible college to spread the gospel. Theophilus, you don't have to be called into the ministry to share the gospel. All you need to have to share the gospel is the gospel. If you've got the gospel, then you ought to go because you have been authorized to go. Just very quickly, I want to mention a few points and then dwell on certain ones. In verse number one, we have the authority. Why, why, why should we go and disturb somebody on a Saturday morning or on a Tuesday night? Or why should you go to somebody during a break time and, and sit down and talk to them? Who gives you the authority to talk to somebody about Jesus? Well, we have the authority tonight. And it comes from the highest. We have the authority. In verse 1, I believe we, we see this. We have the authority because we go in Jesus' name. We go in His name. That gives us authority. What gave Moses to come and stand before Pharaoh and to say, Let my people go? It was not the name of Moses. It was the name of Jehovah. That's what gave him authority. What is it then that gives us authority as we go and proclaim the gospel? It's not that we go in the name of Southwest Baptist Church. It's not that you go in your name. It's not your pastor's name. It's that you go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have the authority. You have the authority, number two, also in verse number one, in this sense that we are continuing to do what Jesus started. We're not starting something new. We are continuing what Jesus began. As Luke said there, what all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. From verse number 2, look at this. We have the authority to spread the gospel because we are doing what Jesus said to do. Now, I love the answer of a, of a young child who says, because Dad said so. That settles it. Here we can go and knock on someone's door and, and they may say, why are you here? Well, we can say, well, God sent me here because he said go. We're doing what God commanded us to do. It is When it says there in verse number 2, what he commanded by the Holy Spirit, the commandments uh, unto the apostles, the word commandments there is official san- shan- uh, sorry, sanction. It is the orders that have been given to us. Our orders come from God. That's high. That is the highest. We have authority to spread the gospel in verse number 3 because we serve the living Savior. 
Look what uh, Luke says there in verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion or his suffering by many, look at this, infallible proofs. The word infallible proofs is one word that means this. Evidence that removes doubt. Evidence that removes doubt. It's a convincing proof. It's that which causes one to know something for sure. I like what one person said. He said this, they are indications from which there is no getting away. When when you study the gospel and the gospels for what they are, an eyewitness account on on the part of Matthew and on the part of John... And then a witness account on the part of Mark, whose eyewitness was was Peter. And uh, uh, with Luke, of course, as he got information from Paul and from others. When, when we look at the Gospels as they are written, look, we have the eyewitness account from what we would consider to be unlikely sources. It wasn't like that God just named big names here. We're talking about a tax collector, and we're talking about fishermen, and we're, we're talking about just common, ordinary people, but we're talking about a whole bunch of people who all saw the same exact things. They saw him crucified. They saw him that, that he was buried, and they saw, indeed, the fact that he rose again. We're talking about at one time over 500 people who saw him, and they were not all hallucinating about the same thing, but they saw in reality the risen Christ. Hey, listen, if, if we have that kind of documentation, we have Bible proof, we have solid ground just even in a court of law that would stand up in a court of law because we have that type of eyewitness account. And thus we have very convincing proofs. So don't let somebody cause you to back down from sharing the gospel and saying, well, it's just not intellectual enough or whatever it may be. No, wait a minute. It can undergo any kind of scrutiny that any skeptic wants to throw at it, all we've got to do is not defend the lion, just let the lion loose, like what Spurgeon said, and the lion will defend itself. We have many infallible proofs, things you just can't get away, get away with, or from, rather. I'm studying and listening to uh, the audio version of uh, Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ, or Case of Christ. It's fascinating, as he uh, was a... A uh, lawyer and such, and he's, he was a skeptic, but he allowed the evidence to speak for itself. And he came to Christ. And if any person will be honest and take eyewitness account as it is here in the Bible, they too will come to an understanding of what God said. But, but here's the added measure to it. The Holy Spirit of God that convinces men of sin. But Luke says we have many things that, that you just can't get away from it. Some of you maybe before you came to Christ, you tried to get away from it. But it's like God just kept coming back at you. And the word just kept coming back at you. And you couldn't get away from it. That is the power of the gospel. Luke says that he appeared to them for 40 days. Not, a, not all the time for those 40 days, but at different periods of time, he appeared unto them over the span of 40 days and to numerous people. So there's abundant evidence that what we have believed by way of the gospel is not man-made, but God-given. Now, verse uh, 6 and following, or verse 4 and following, I'm sorry. We have the authority to spread the gospel because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said, and being assembled together with them, 
commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And obviously he's talking about what's going to take place in Acts chapter 2, and we'll wait till then for an in-depth uh, explanation as to the work of the Spirit of God. But suffice it here to say this, the Spirit was given to witness. He empowered them to witness. Now, when the apostles, as we pick up the reading in verse number 6, when they heard Jesus' reference to the, uh, the Holy Ghost and the Spirit coming, it was natural that they, would, that they would make this connection, that they would think, okay, the Spirit of God coming. They would have read perhaps Joel chapter 2 and other passages that talked about the work of the Spirit and how that He would be poured out and the connection with the kingdom. And so it was not... Uh, an unusual question that they would say in verse number 6 when they were come together. They asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That was a valid question. Notice in verse 7 that Jesus did not rebuke them. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. In other words, he's not, he's not saying you've got an illegitimate question here. He's not denying that he's going to set up a literal kingdom. Did everybody catch that? He did not say, no, wait a minute, men, uh, you may have misunderstood. I wasn't talking about a literal kingdom. If Jesus did not intend to set up a literal kingdom, this would have been a very good time to explain that to the disciples. Here's what he's saying. It's just not time yet. It's just not time yet. I am going to set up the kingdom. I will restore Israel. So I think that just from these two verses, we can see that, that God has a purpose for the nation Israel, that he is not finished with Israel, but it's just not time to, to set up the kingdom yet. The, the uh, disciples were getting ahead of, ahead of themselves. You ever do that? Get ahead of time? Brother Ted came up to lead us in congregational just a little bit early. See? Yep. But he knew. He was just checking everybody else out, right? I'll never forget, Brother Ted, you weren't the first one to do that. You might remember I was sitting over here, and I was tuned into the service, but at uh, that time I was doing the what Brother Sam Benswanger does by way of taking the offering. And some reason on a Sunday morning, I just got all out of sorts. Some of you would remember this. And came to the pulpit and at the definite wrong time and asked the men to take their place for the offering, which is not even what we do on a Sunday morning. Uh, do it like we do Sunday night. I was just totally off. Brother Sam looked at me like, what in the world are you doing? And, and I got here and I'd already gone too far. So just went ahead and did what I thought I should do. <laughs> Called for the kingdom to come, you know, for the offering. Well, it wasn't like, it wasn't that we weren't going to have an offering. We're talking about a Baptist service here. Obviously, we're going to have an offering. It's just I got mixed up about what time that we're going to have the offering. The disciples here, they weren't off saying, now, are you going to start the kingdom? It, it, what, they weren't off and saying, now, we're going to have the kingdom, right? They were just off on the timing. Jesus is saying, wait a minute, it's not time for the kingdom yet, but let me tell you what it is time for. In fact, he's saying to them, look, don't get preoccupied with times and seasons. Well, there's a lot of folks out there that are there, aren't they? I believe it's going to be this year, somebody might say, on this date in, in 1988. or Well, that's, that's, that messed up. <laughs> too late, too sorry. Bad call. Well, I think it was this year or that year. I'm telling you, just all kinds of weird stuff. Let's just let Jesus settle that for us. He said, don't worry about that. 
Don't get preoccupied with signs and seasons and times and, and thinking, you know, that it's going to be on this date. I mean, you can look around and see, man, it just seems like it's going to be soon. I mean, it seems like the table is getting set. And, and you know, it's just about, as you might say, around the house, you see the table getting set. You think, oh, son, it's about dinner time, you know, and you can get all excited. But it may still be another hour. You might as well just stay busy doing what you're doing until, until you're called to the table. Jesus is saying here, listen, don't get in a hurry. Don't get too excited right now. But let me get you excited about the thing that I want you to be excited about and be involved in. Don't get into looking at signs and seasons and times and all these things. But all that the Father is going to take care of. He has the, the authority. That's what the word is there in verse number 7. His own power. The word there is different than the verse than the word... In verse number 8, when he says power, in this verse, in verse 7, it's the, the word for authority. God's got all that involved in control. The Father has that all determined. But ye shall receive dunamis. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So instead of worrying about the end of the plan, they were supposed to worry about this, the end of the world that hasn't heard the gospel yet. The far reaches of the world that had not heard the gospel. So Jesus is saying, here's my plan. I want the gospel to spread here in Jerusalem. But then I want it to go out to all Judea. And then don't forget about Samaria. And then from Samaria, you just take it to the rest of the world. Take it to the uttermost part of the earth. And so the, the influence of the gospel is supposed to be broadening and, and spreading in its influence. Because that is God's chief concern. And he's saying to them, you're going to receive power. And this power that's going to come upon you, look, it's not, it did not make them lose control like many Pentecostal and, and, and charismatic leaders would cause us to think today and rolling on the floor and barking like a dog and all, holy laughter and all kinds of weird, whacked out stuff. But what the Bible says here is that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power to witness, to boldly proclaim the gospel. So the Father sent the Son to be the Savior, and the Son sent the Spirit. I'm telling you, the whole Trinity is involved in the work of the church, in the propagation of the gospel. Now, now wait a minute. There was a lot of things going on in that day and time, and in that world, in that Greek culture. There was a lot of things going on. Politically, there was a lot of things going on. There was a lot of shifting, a lot of movement at the time that Luke is writing this. I mean, things were taking place in Rome. There was great power, great, uh, uh, a lot of movement as far as the, the conquering of the world and all those things. There was a lot going on by way of politics. But God wasn't interested, not, not that he wasn't interested in it, but that's not where the Trinity was at work. There was a lot going on by way of sports. I'm talking about Rome. And the gladiators and all that was there. But the Trinity was not interested in what was going on in sports. There was a lot that was going on by way of Greek culture and entertainment and drama and, and all that the development that was going on back then. But that's not where the Trinity said, listen, this was where I'm focusing my attention. But the Trinity, I'm talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, said, here's what I want to give my attention to. This band, of, this small band of people, these 11 unlikely men and all the others who have joined themselves to them, this 120 that's going to gather in this upper room, my attention is on them. That's astounding. It was up to you and I. We'd think, okay, if I'm going to put power somewhere, I'm going to change Rome. 
Or I'm going to be involved in the sports world and, and I'm going to change these gladiators and, and make these sports figures, these great believers. But here's what God said. I'm going to take these unlikely men and these unlikely women and I'm going to put my spirit upon them and they're going to witness everywhere about me and that's how I'm going to change the world. You see, you and I can get, get uh, our, dis, our attention distracted to the power of politics or what's going on in the sports world or what's going on in the entertainment world. But let me tell you tonight where God has his attention tonight, just like he did back then, he has his attention on Southwest Baptist Church. I'm talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost being interested in what's going on right here. Wow. Talk about power. We're talking about the creator, redeemer, who's interested in using you. It's no wonder that as these men and women alike yielded their lives to God, the gospel began to spread like wildfire from Jerusalem to Judea to the half Jew, half Samaritans, and to all the Gentiles, and made it all the way to the capital city of the world, namely Rome. But it's not supposed to stop there. In fact, if you read the last verse of Acts, it's like the book didn't finish like we would think that it would. You ever read a book and think, is that it? He left me hanging here. Is that it? And you know what they're doing? They're setting you up for the sequel. Right? It got to Rome and Paul is preaching and teaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no man hindered him. It's like there's a sequel. There is. We're here tonight. God's work goes on. See, the uttermost part of the earth, though some say, well, that was probably Rome. No, I didn't stop there. It's good that it went there because that was like the hub of the world at that time, and it could go a lot of places from Rome. But it needed to reach Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, it needs to hit 54th Street. 53rd and 52nd and 51st and 50th and 49th and 48th and Brinkley and all these other streets that are right around here. It needs to go all over this city. See, the work of the gospel is not done. And the Father is still very interested in the work of the gospel going all over this world until the uttermost part of the earth. Doesn't that give you an idea that, that probably that's a little bit further than Rome? Do you realize that you and I, in comparison to where they were, we are the uttermost part of the earth. Thank God it reached here. Thank God even for some who came here to spread it to Native Americans who lived right here. But listen, now we are in a place, and at such a time as this, where the power of God is upon us, and we are authorized agents to make sure that the message does not stop here. But there are people groups, and there are people clusters that are all over this world who are yet to hear the presentation of the gospel. And may God help us not to allow the gospel to stop with us. I'm telling you, the gospel is unstoppable unless we stop it. This past week, as we were getting ready for uh, Brother Derek's 
ordination, I had a little bit of time with him. We went to get coffee, and and uh, coffee just helps good theological thinking. So we were there and enjoying a little bit of time together. He shared with me his desire for North India and um, the um, movement that needs to take place. Have you, have you noticed something as we've had these unreached people groups? How many of them, it, as we've been a few months into it now, how many of them said Islam? Islam. Predominantly Islam. Islam. Or Hindu it could be, but predominantly we've had Islamic people or Muslim people who have not yet heard the gospel. Are we to take the gospel to them? Intentionally? Yes. Well, there's a lot of barriers there. Yes, but it's an unfinished task that God still has given to us, and he hasn't changed the Great Commission. Who says so? <laughs> That's a good question. Who says so? What about the guy at work that doesn't want to hear? I'm talking about that, that uh, rough guy that just looks at you like, go ahead, try to share the gospel. What about that guy? Who says you're supposed to go and share it with him? Same one that says we're supposed to go and share it with Muslim people. He still says so. And so since he still says so, evidently he intends to still empower us. We have the... No, wait a minute. Think about this. Because the, by the fact that we are still here and not raptured out, the gospel has not yet reached its final destination. Have you ever, uh, you've used your, your uh, GPS and you're traveling around with that and you have reached your destination. I love that sound. Sometimes it's hard to find that sound. Find that destination. You have reached your, in 0.5 miles, you have reached your destination. Well, we have the gospel but right now, church, we can't say, well, the gospel has reached its final destination. Not yet. It's still supposed to be going. We have an unfinished task. You see, we can let Luke even answer his own question. If somebody said, well, what do you mean by uttermost part of the earth? In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, he said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, among all peoples among all groups, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, we have the authority to share the gospel at this time because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to you and I to witness. How do you get the power of the Holy Spirit? Just share the gospel. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict people that are not yet people of God. A couple more thoughts why you have authority to share the gospel. Look at verse number nine. We have authority to share the gospel because we serve the Lord who's ascended on high. He's ascended on high. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And I'll couple this with it. Final thought from verse 10 and 11. We have authority to spread the gospel because he is coming again. Yep. The message will go to all and is for all because Jesus is Lord of all, someone said. He ascended on high. When he ascended on high, can you imagine? 
being on that Judean hillside there, and, and uh, probably the Mount of Olives. And as he's ascending, just going up. And you watch, you keep watching, and he goes into the clouds. What are you going to do? I'm going to keep watching. Aren't you? He's ascended on high. Two men, angelic beings. Seems like they've showed up before. They're in an empty tomb. Here's these men looking up. These two angelic beings come along and say, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up? Beloved, this same Jesus, as you've seen him leave, he's coming again. You know, that points directly to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, how he would come again in the clouds, clouds in power and great glory. He's coming again. You have authority to go everywhere and share the gospel because he ascended on high and left you here to do his work. You know what it conjures up in, in my mind? Elijah. Caught up in a whirlwind, gone. Who's left behind? Elisha. What did Elisha want? A double portion. Give me a double portion. And then after Elijah's gone, Elisha's on the scene, as you begin to see what Elisha did, and you study and see the authenticating power of God that is upon him and the miracles, and you take them for what they are and not trying to spiritualize them, but just, just simply this, God is saying, my hand is now upon Elisha. Listen to what he's got to say. He's the prophet. As these men watch Jesus go, the mantle has now been passed from Jesus, the leader, to the disciples as the followers. The followers now become the leaders on the earth. The mantle has passed. The responsibility has been given. I'm thankful to God that it's not without power from on high. I have in my office the picture of the transition. Many of you remember that scene right here at this pulpit as Brother Sam uh, took the shepherd's staff and passed the responsibility to pastor the church. Talk about fear and trembling, <laughs> receiving it. I've got that picture there, and I've got the staff right beside that picture. I look up behind the choir, and I see people's faces, and some crying. I'm thinking, oh, why are you crying? <laughs> I understand. I understand. That's fine. But as that was passed, there was a transition. Now, the work that I'm to do today is no different than what Brother Sam was doing. And the work that God and Jesus has given to us is no different than what he did as he spoke to people and shared with them the good news. But at this point in time, as he ascended up on high, he passed the responsibility. 
What a vast and great responsibility. He's passed that responsibility to care and shepherd people to his church. Take the message and go everywhere. You are an authorized agent. Go. One generation comes and one generation goes. But each generation, as the church continues on, it's one generation of the church saying to the next generation, it's your turn. Go. You know what you're getting ready for? Leadership. Responsibility. You know the best way to get ready for it? Do it now. Yeah, but I'm just eight years old. You are an authorized agent to go to anyone and everyone to speak to anybody, no matter what their status, and to say, God says, God calls you to repentance. I've read the letters of some who have written, I'm talking about children, who have written to the President of the United States and said, Dear Mr. President, read your Bible and make sure that it's King James. little eight-year-old saying that to the president. Who authorized him to say that? The one who's over and above, high above, any president that presides upon any place of the earth. We have absolutely no reason to hide the gospel. We have no reason to shy away from sharing the gospel. Because the exalted Son of God has given you and given me authority to go in His name. Let's go. Let's go. Father, we thank You now in Jesus' name that we have authority. And I consider that the whole Trinity is at work, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit seems so unlikely. I feel like Moses who said, who, who am I? I feel like tonight as a church we could say, who are we? we? We're not anybody. We're nothing special. That's most certainly true. But God, you've given us this task of world evangelism. And I pray that you'd help us to go into all the world. It, it's only right that we would pray for the advance of the gospel. God, would you make us bold witnesses? Lord, would you help us to be submissive to the role and the leading and the urging of the Holy Spirit of God to share the gospel? Dear God, we lack boldness in and of ourselves, but we know that the Spirit can empower us. I pray that you would do so. God, I pray you'd help us to make the gospel known in all the world. Would you use us to do that, to start churches everywhere? I pray for the Pemertons as they go to North India that they would start a church planting movement. I pray, God, for uh, the, the brewers in, in Brazil and others, dear God, in, in Sri Lanka, the Unruhs and the Hoovers and Switzers that are there in Ethiopia. And God, all around, Lord, uh, we have been authorized by you to send forth missionaries and then to go ourselves right here within this city. Please help us, I pray. God, I pray for our efforts in Friend Day. I pray for God's souls to be saved and for people's lives lives to be changed, but that's only possible through your work in the gospel. Please help those that are workers 
in, in places of business here in the city, give them authority and the opportunity to share the gospel. And those in school and all around, dear God, help us to go really in your name and in your authority. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.